Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Jewish Bazaar. Uh, Jessica can't join us today. She uh, was unable to make, well, she was unable to make bail, uh, but she's going to try and make it to the next one. Uh, but don't uh, don't fret. Uh, I'm here with Eddie Portnoy. You know, I heard I heard that Jessica's actually got a job as a uh, colostomy bag fitter. <laughs> she she did. She was laid off during COVID. Uh, I'm glad she's all, back. She she's back where she's 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 in county lock lockup right now. So uh, uh, we'll explore that in a future issue of the Jewish Bazaar. Uh, but today we have uh, Dr. Eddie Portnoy, Jewish historian and uh, the director of um, Fascination at the Evo Institute for Jewish Research. And I am uh, Dr. Tony Michaels, professor of American Jewish history at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And uh, we're here today to discuss Jews and riots. Uh, We don't hear much about Jews and riots um, anymore. Jews don't seem to riot anymore, at least not in this country, but maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. you know, so you, sometimes gonna, hear, you sometimes hear the Jews are a riot. Yeah, the Jews are a riot. Uh, there were many bands. There's Jew, Jewish Riot, uh, which was a band from Russia uh, that made the news a few years ago. Uh, yeah, I all, think you're, you're, you mean Jewish Pussy Riot. Um, I'm not sure about that. We might we, we might be getting our wires crossed. There's something like that that came out of Russia a few years ago. Uh, so you're right. Maybe maybe there is some contemporary tie-ins. Um and uh, but we're going to explore this today. Um, uh, Jews riots. When Jews rioted, why don't Jews riot anymore? Uh, maybe there is still Jewish rioting going I, on. Yeah, I think there might be. Well, let's let's uh, let's get us. You know, Eddie, start us off. What? Why are we even discussing uh, riotous Jews? It's it's a good question. Um, I think mostly because we want to. Uh, but uh, we're going to start off with a uh, a Jewish riot that took place on the Lower East Side in 1906. Um, it's known as the Tonsil Riot. And, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe you imagine, uh, you know, people, you know, reaching into, deep into people's throats, grabbing their tonsils and throwing them at others. But uh, that's, not, that's not really what this was. Um, on, uh, in late June of 1906, there was a, uh, an outbreak of tonsillitis in many of the public schools on the Lower East Side. And the uh, principals of these schools thought they had a good solution because part part of the reason they wanted a solution was that one, this disease was spreading uh, and they they wanted to stop it. So they thought, uh, uh, you know, we should arrange for tonsillectomies for these, these poor Jewish immigrant students who probably don't get good medical care anyways. So they'll, they'll probably be quite happy if we arrange for, for surgeries for them. So they, um, in one particular school, they arranged for, for about 80 students to get tonsillectomies in school. They actually brought doctors from uh, Mount Sinai hospital into the schools, uh, and gave them, uh, gave about 80 students tonsillectomies. Uh, now, how this transpired is a bit odd. They 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 did send home permission slips, uh, many of which were signed by Epstein's mother. Um, I guess that fell flat. Sorry. Um, so, uh, but they did send home permission slips, and in some cases, it was thought that um, the parents, especially the mothers, many of whom were illiterate, 
couldn't read the permission slips and the kids just sort of said, you, we, we were told you to have you sign this. Uh, so they did. And in other cases, uh, the kids just signed the permission slips themselves. So one day, I think it was June 27th, 1906, uh, about 80 kids came home to their tenement uh, tenements uh, drooling blood. And their parents said to them, what, you know, what happened? And they said, oh, doctors came into the school and, and cut our throats. And so rumors started to spread throughout the tenements that, you know, doctors were coming from uptown and cutting the throats of Jewish children in, in the public schools. The rumor spread all night. The next morning, uh, a, a sort of mass of about 50,000 Jewish mo mothers besieged a dozen public schools on the Lower East Side demanding to see their children. And they, you know, grabbed fruit off push carts, started whipping it at the school windows. They brought ladders uh, in so they could climb into second floor windows. Uh, you know, this was like a full scale riot. They attacked people on the street, anybody who vaguely resembled a doctor. And there was one um, case of a telephone repairman who was walking around with the pliers hanging from his belt. And he was accused of... Uh, of reaching into children's throats with his pliers and, and yanking out their tonsils. Uh, he was beaten mercilessly and had to be saved by police from two different precincts. Uh, wait, wait, uh, wait. Uh, who, who did the beating? Who beat those beating Jewish mothers? Lead. Jewish mothers. Jew, okay. Jew, this is, a, this is a riot almost exclusively of Jewish mothers, uh, you know, on the lower side demanding to see their children. And in fact, in these 12 schools that they besieged, uh, school had the schools had to be shut down and they let all the kids go home because they 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 couldn't, you know, continue on their day. Uh, and it was really, you know, kind of a strange episode in, in, in the history of this neighborhood. Uh, you don't you don't normally hear of, you know, significant numbers you know, in the tens of thousands of Jewish mothers, you know, attacking public schools. Uh, wait, I got to interrupt here because you no, know, you know, I think that if you if you yeah. if you raise your finger in yeah. a podcast, yeah, no one's going to know you're doing that. No, well, you but just I know you're doing. You that. noticed. I know you're doing you just that, noticed yeah. it, and that's what counts. The so wait, well, one thing is surprising is that Jewish mothers are known to revere doctors, right? Yeah. Uh, why would they riot against doctors? Why, why didn't they, why didn't they rally in the streets to praise doctors? Why didn't they go out into the streets to say, I want my son to be a doctor or right, my daughter to be a doctor, but instead they beat the doctors or, or wanted right, well, to they beat did, the doctors. They didn't, they didn't, yeah, they didn't actually find any doctors to beat, but they did uh -huh. want, I, they, and it's not clear that they would have necessarily beat, you know, they would have beaten the doctors had they actually found them. But, you know, this idea that uptown doctors with whom they had no familiarity were coming downtown uh, and, um, you know, slitting their children's throats, you know, was a frightening prospect. Now, the, the part of the backstory of this is that uh, beginning in May 1906, the month previous, uh, there was a huge rash of pogroms in, uh, in and around Bialystok in nor northeastern Poland. And hundreds of Jews had been, had been killed and um, thousands had been wounded. And the Yiddish newspapers were full of articles with gruesome descriptions of what had happened to Jewish victims during these pogroms. Uh, and 
one interesting aspect of this is there were there were uh, the Forverts, which is the largest Yiddish newspaper on the Lower East Side, uh, happened to change printers at the time and started to include more photographs. And they happened to include uh, they happened to begin including photographs of the dead and wounded. Uh, and this is something that a Jewish audience hadn't really seen before. And so this uh, episode when, you know, Jewish kids came home from school drooling blood and told parents that, you know, their, uh, their you know, doctors had come and, and, and cut their throats, it was perceived as a pogrom, you know, by this immigrant community. They they, they thought that, the, that a pogrom was happening on the Lower East Side, uh, you know, perpetrated by uptown doctors, but a pogrom nonetheless. And so they reacted in, uh, in a way, in, you know, a kind of crazed way in order to protect their children. Mm-hmm. And, and just, just to clarify, why would they be suspicious of uptown doctors? I mean, I understand that they don't know who they are, but why, why suspect them of, of something violent? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's, um, it's less the doctors and more the principals of the schools. Mm. Uh, com- complaints uh, written about in the Yiddish press had less to do with uh, the actual doctors who came and did the procedures than with what they called, in, pe- in fact, the Wahrheit, which is another socialist Zionist newspaper on the, uh, on the Lower East Side. Uh, they claimed that the Irish principals uh, had no respect for Jewish immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. And they were the real uh, perpetrators behind this, this episode. And in fact, they were. They were the ones who, who invited these doctors down to do this. They, it was their idea in the first place that, oh, we should just give these kids uh, tonsillectomies. They don't get good medical care anyways. Um, you know, they sent permission slips home that used, you know, kind of medical slash technical language that these people clearly didn't understand, even if it was read to them. And so, you know, like I said, permissions, some permission slips got signed, others, others didn't. But, you know, had the permission slips been in Yiddish, you know, they would have understood what was going on. And they more, they more than likely would have said, you know, absolutely not. Who gives, you know, who performs surgery in a public school? That's, uh, that's, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also Jews had some suspicion of the public school system. On the one hand, they, they sent their kids to, to public schools, probably in higher numbers than most other immigrants. And at the same time, you know, public schools were, um, there was a fair amount of anti-Semitism or xenophobia more broadly in the public schools. You know, children who, children were punished for speaking Yiddish. Um, they were, they were. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, they, they had their names changed in public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was very common. Teachers said, you know, you, you know, you can't have these, these foreign sounding names. Uh, you know, you've got to change them. I mean, there's a great yeah. mis- misconception that names got changed on Ellis Island. They they didn't. They often um, got changed in schools. Yeah, in schools or or in workplaces uh, or elsewhere. Um, so yeah, yeah, there. You know, the, the 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 idea of you know looking, speaking, acting different was mm-hmm. was very much frowned upon. And so uh, you know, there was a you know, this is all part of a huge drive to Americanize. Uh, all kinds of different immigrants. And, uh, you know, since you had such huge numbers of Jews on the Lower East Side, you know, they were, you know, they were the main victims of this, of this kind of thing. 
There's a writer uh, named Morris Shappies, uh, who you know of, a uh, uh, guy came out of the communist movement. He grew up on the Lower East Side and developed a stutter because he was disciplined for um, using Yiddish, uh, even not necessarily even speaking it fluently, just, just using some Yiddish words. And he became so self-conscious as a kid uh, and so afraid of his teachers that he developed a stutter for many years. I don't think that was entirely unusual. People were really ashamed. Right. No, of, I, don't, I don't think so at all that it was unusual. I mean, and also you have to, you have to keep in mind that during this time, corporal punishment was permitted in schools. Yeah. Uh, you know, teachers could could beat students to the rulers or, you know, in, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. And, and for, you know, for a small immigrant child, um, that's that's, you know, for any child, it's, it's it's really a frightening kind of episode. And did the, the newspapers try to calm calm the uh, the Jewish masses down or did they stoke stoke their uh, fears? You know, they mostly tried to calm them down. Uh, the. Um, the only newspaper, the only Yiddish paper that uh, uh, took a, a negative view of uh, the, the the mothers who riot. Most of most of the newspapers understood why why this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they they were clear in saying that uh, you know the, these mothers, to a certain degree, were were you know even though it was a type of hysteria as they saw it, uh, you know they were right to uh, try to find out what what was going on in the schools and what was happening with their children. But for instance, the Morgan Journal. Uh, which is a, a more conservative Orthodox paper, um, they had a big banner headline that said, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, stupid mothers, um, you know, rioting over nothing, you know, causing, causing problems over, over nothing. Uh, but one interesting thing is that the, in the days after this riot happened, another similar riot took place in, in Brownsville, which is also a heavily Jewish neighborhood, uh, you know, sort of, sort of yeah, a sort of copycat ride, even though no tonsillectomies took place there. Um, you know, they, 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 people became very excitable. And, and, and on the same day, a, a similar riot took place in Little Italy with Italian mothers. So it wasn't, it wasn't just the Jews. Um, but uh, when the Italian mothers rioted in Little Italy, or when they, at least not when they, when they, when they, you know, masses of them approached the schools, uh, the teachers brought the children to the windows of the classrooms and shouted out, you know, your children are fine. This is not, nothing is happening here. Uh, and they, and they went home the whole, you know, the whole thing was sort of, uh, you know, called off. Um, but it was this, you know, this interesting episode of, you know, of, you know, rumors getting spread, uh, and, and fear becoming instilled in, in certain communities and immigrant communities and, and how, you know, how these people reacted. It's really, uh, it's pretty fascinating, uh, you know, to see the, the similar reactions of the part of Jewish mothers and Italian mothers. Um, you know, there was one in one of the, the um, English language newspapers, I think it was the, uh, the New York Tribune, they interviewed this, uh, I don't know, she'd be like a, um, you know, 12 year old Italian girl who had told her teacher uh, that morning that she should watch out because her father and they, the, the newspaper quotes her in dialect, her father might to bring a good knife. <laughs> so, uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was something that they, you know, they needed to be concerned about, but it was, uh, I, I, you know, apparently it was easy to, to, to show that the kids were okay. And it, it just, you know, that it was a really kind of a, a pretty major overreaction. The tonsil riot, 
1906 wasn't, I mean, by that time it was, um, rioting wasn't unknown uh, oh, among no. Jews or others in the, in the city. There were already, uh, it was already a feature of, of life. Violence was was a common feature of Jewish life back then. I mean, one of the famous riots, more famous actually, I think, than the Tonsil Riot was the 1902 kosher meat boycott. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's that's probably the most famous of all Jewish riots. Which didn't start as a riot, but um, uh, it didn't start as a riot. It started as a boycott of kosher butchers in the uh, and the uh, kosher meat industry because prices price of kosher meat had gone up uh, very high, and women. Um, uh, you know, ordinary housewives were have, were finding it more difficult, more difficult than usual, to um, to feed their children, to feed their families, and so um, a boycott uh, ensued. First, I think in Brooklyn and Manhattan, and then it spread to a number of cities, uh, all the way up to Boston, Newark, I think Philadelphia. So this boycott turned into a kind of mass movement initiated. By, by Jewish women who did not think of themselves as radical activists. They were just trying to make ends meet and feed their families and, and maintain a home. But uh, things, things really became confrontational pretty, pretty quickly. And there were press reports of women smashing windows, of um, attacking policemen. Uh, I've read about uh, women uh, hitting policemen, flogging policemen with raw meat. That was that was taken out of the but that was stolen from the butchers, you know, when the windows were smashed and people. Would go. So um, yeah, I've I've also yeah. I've also heard that they 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 took they they stole like piles of raw meat from uh, from the butcher shops and threw it in the street and set it on fire. Oh yeah, I think I came uh, across that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know. So it was, the it boycott was a- turned violent and turned into uh, and turned into a riot. That was several years earlier. But that wasn't the only. I mean, these aren't the only ones. I mean, there were there were rent strikes that sometimes turned violent. There was a, a labor strikes often turned violent and sometimes into kinds of riots, mini riots. Right. You know, one thing. Um, one thing I want to. One, one thing I think we should point out is that yeah. uh, you know at least one of the interesting aspects of this is uh, many of these riots were women led events. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the ta- the tonsil riot is the mm-hmm. um, uh, the kosher meat boycott, boycott. and, and yeah. strike and riot. The, those were women led as well, and also many of the rent strikes mm-hmm. were were led by women. Uh, and there there are a number of uh, you know newspaper articles from the period, from mm-hmm. you know I would say nineteen oh seven to. 1910, where you have sort of a rash of, of, of mm-hmm. rent strikes, and you have them all during this, you know, this period during the early 20th century, uh, where, you know, you find re- reports of women attacking landlords and their agents, uh, physically attacking them, mm-hmm. and it, it becomes a, a fairly regular phenomenon, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's this it's this very sort of interesting turn uh, of uh, in the roles of women. Uh, yeah. For Jewish immigrants, uh, you, you don't hear about many activities like this in the old country in Eastern mm-hmm. Europe. Uh, but when Jews uh, immigrate to the United States, uh, this women take on a kind of new role. Well, and 
Go ahead. I, I, I would just say it's it's part of it is a new they take on new role and we should talk about that. But another is that they they're performing traditional roles that um, are so disrupted um, in the new country that they wind up um, protesting and confronting authority and sometimes riot. And and that, again, is shown, I think, both by the Tonsil Riot and the Kosher Meat Boycott Riot. They're, they're, they're actually performing similar roles. They're, they're raising their children. They're trying to feed a family. But it gets so difficult to do that in this era, the in the immigrant era, that um, that what would normally be an ordinary fact of life, you know, buying food, preparing the food, serving it to your children, or looking after their health, become volatile because they can't afford to do, in the case of the kosher meat boycott, they, they, they're, they're finding it impossible to feed their families. So they're playing the same role, but the same role right. becomes politicized, or if that's, if that's the right word here, it becomes right. subject to social protest. And right. uh, that's part of it. So the, the other part is like you're saying, they're, they're new roles and, and not only new roles, but new, um, the old standards of behavior in the old country that would have prohibited that kind of behavior, protesting and rioting, um, that's that's breaking down or dissolving in the United States. You know, so it's sort of anything goes in New York City. Right. It's like it's an opportunity to take initiative and they mm-hmm. take it. Yeah. And and so, you, you know, you you wind up with, uh, you know, with and also, you know, another aspect of this is I, I didn't mention this, but uh, during the tonsil riot, a, uh, some of the rumors and uh, the violence was fomented by by street corner orators, uh, <laughs> many of whom were women, mm-hmm. and so that was also something unusual, something that that you know you you don't hear much about, but you know, sort of women you know jumping up on on soapboxes and 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 exhorting crowds and, mm-hmm. and you know getting them to do things in fact some of them were, some of them during the tonsil riot right were arrested mm-hmm. uh for you know for allegedly fomenting violence violence mm-hmm. uh so that's you know pretty unusual and interesting you know i remember reading i think one of the first examples i read about in the yiddish press was a uh, a riot an incident in i think it was 1894 and i think it was a baker strike I'm not 100 percent sure now, but it was a strike in 1894 that turned violent in the streets. And there were press reports of teenage girls, Jewish girls, pulling out, you know, pulling out the hair of policemen. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Some were attacking. I got that wrong. Some were attacking. Well, you know what? I, I wish you had gotten that right. No, I'll tell you what I got right. They were pulling the beards of older Jewish men. Oh, that's what they were doing. Oh, these were, these were yanking the out the hair. Uh, this was during a baker strike, as I recall. Right, but and, were, were these the actual bakers whose whose beers they were pulling out, or these are just random, it's, random it's, bearded it's not, it's, It wasn't clear to me from the press uh, report. I don't think it was the bakers. Uh, I think it, it would have been um, someone else, uh, as I recall. But um, and uh, and at one point during the strike, they went to the um, newspaper office, the editorial offices of the Yiddish Tageblatt, the only Yiddish daily at the time and smashed the windows because they thought the press coverage was too sympathetic to the bosses. And so wow, they smashed the win- yeah, they smashed the windows and at one point went to the home of the publisher and I don't think smashed his windows at home, but made it, you know, I think they were scared to come out of their house. Right. This so, was Saracen. This is Saracen. Yeah. The publisher. So, um, you know, so by the early 20th century, there's already a pattern of con- there. Oh, another, right. Well, how could we forget? 
1902, uh, the same year that there was the kosher meat boycott in 1902, there was the 1902 um, Rabbi Joseph funeral. Oh yeah, right. Uh, this is this is actually kind of a sad story. Oh, uh, I, I think this is a great story. Well, <laughs> what, what part of it do you think is great? I mean, it's 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 just dramatic. It's dramatic. So, well, what's sad is poor Rabbi Joseph. So Jacob Joseph was a rabbi from Lithuania who was brought to the, invited to come uh, to the United States by Orthodox Jewish leaders in New York who wanted a chief rabbi. Uh, there was no chief rabbi in New York or anywhere in right. the United I guess, States. Right. I guess, I, guess, I guess we should point out that, that elsewhere, especially in Eastern Europe, there was always sort of a chief rabbi of, town, yeah. of a town or a mm-hmm. city or at least a council of them. And yes. that, was a, that was a common phenomenon in, in, in the United States that didn't exist at all. No. You, everything was splintered. Everything was splintered. And in the eyes of a lot of Orthodox Jews and, a lot, and their spokesmen, it was chaos in the Jewish community. There was no single authority. Um, there was no cohesive cohesion. You know, like you said, it was fragment. Jewish communal life was fragmented and splintered. So they wanted a eminent rabbi to come to the United States in part to preside over the regulation of the kosher meat industry. So here we are back to the subject of kosher meat and how conflict conflictual that was. But anyway, they brought over um, Rabbi Jacob Joseph. This is what now in the, the late 1880s, as I recall, right. they, they, they brought him to the United States. He was going to be this eminent figure in Jewish communal life, um, not only to regulate the kosher meat industry, but generally to preside over religious life. And pretty quickly, um, he was he was ignored. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was roundly he, ignored. He was roundly ignored, and he wound up really retreating from Jewish communal life. And uh, I think uh, he just sort of uh, remained a Torah scholar, engaged in Torah study for for many years until his death in 1902. So he he died in near obscurity. Uh, although maybe that's not he well, died uh, in near yeah. obscurity. But then there was this huge funeral to honor the man who people showed almost no respect to from the moment he got to the United States. Right. You know, and, and I think it's worth it to point out that funerals in Jewish life have traditionally been big affairs. It was always, mm-hmm. it was always uh, something of, of value to, to attend a funeral of a well-known person, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to sort of pay your respects. And it was also, it was a com- considered a communal event mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and people always, you know, went to funerals of people they didn't know mm-hmm. in particular, if they were, fa- if they were famous. Mm-hmm. And so because Jacob Joseph, uh, uh, was famous, um, uh, and it was reported on in the newspapers when his death was reported upon in the newspapers, people sort of flocked to attend his funeral. And, and, uh, and as a result, it was, it was quite a large event. A large, not the largest, as we'd see later, oh, no. Sholem Alechem's funeral right. procession. What extended from the Bronx to Brooklyn or something like that? Well, it was it went from the Bronx to to Brooklyn, but it uh, something like a hundred thousand people participated in that funeral, which is allegedly the largest funeral that ever occurred in New York City. Do you think it's plausible that estimate? That estimate? Uh, it could be. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it could also be entirely made up. But it was. I've seen. You know, the, there are photographs of it, and it's. It's. It is. It's enormous. There. There. Yeah, it wasn't entirely made up. It might be exaggerated, but it was a huge. It was a huge funeral procession. Anyway, but could, you know, there, there, you know, there's a cadre of people who who claim that the statistics of the Sholem Aleichem funeral are undercounted. Undercounted. And they're, and they're actually more than a hundred thousand. 
Who are those people? Small. I can't. I can't tell you who they are. You can't tell. Them. <laughs> uh, we have to protect the sources. Um, but the thing is with Joseph, and I don't know if this is unique. I don't think this happened um, during Sholem Aleichem's procession. But uh, a riot broke out at, at Rabbi Joseph's funeral. Um, the, why, why did Why did this riot break out? Uh, because I believe uh, some workers, perhaps construction workers, started attacking the Jews. Actually, they were they were workers from the the Ho Printing Factory. The printing factory. I uh, H O E, uh-huh. um, not a place where hoes are produced. No, that's uh, something else. But it's it's the Ho. I think I believe it's the Ho Printing Factory, mm-hmm. and uh, Irish workers, uh, you know, saw this, you know, the sort of huge parade of Jews moving you know, moving underneath their factory. And they came to the windows and began throwing things at uh, at the mourners. Uh, and the mourners responded by throwing things back at them. And so it became this kind of war between the the Irish workers of the Hope Printing Plant and uh, and, the, and the Jewish mourners of the of uh, the this funeral. Uh, and at some point, the police intervened. And when they when the police first arrived, they saw this you know these thousands of Jews throwing things at the whole printing factory, they began to beat up the Jews. Uh, and so the know, Jews the, didn't like that. The Jews were, were, were very unhappy with being beaten by the police. Although that was not an uncommon event on the Lower East Side at the time, the police frequently beat up the Jews uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but in this case, they were, you know, they were seen throwing things at a factory. And, you know, the, the, the first reaction was, hey, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point it, it was realized that, uh, you know, the, the Jews had been attacked first, but it was the biggest problem was that this occurred during, uh, you know, this somber funeral yeah. and, uh, you know, it sort of destroyed the, the, you know, the, the, the entire, you know, feeling of, of what was Rabbi supposed to Joseph be happening. Joseph couldn't even die in peace. Couldn't it die really, in peace. He, uh, he, he pretty much lived in peace. He didn't, he didn't do much. Uh, he lived in peace, but in a, with a certain degree of, of humiliation in as much as he was supposed to be an esteemed figure. Right. And then, then was, as you say, wrongly ignored. And then he passes away, in, of course, in poverty in a New York tenement. And uh, then he's then a large crowd of people turn out to honor him. And then even that doesn't work out. Yeah, it's a it's it's a sad situation. But, it's a sad uh, situ- it was a sad situation, but there but there but there's a pattern. I mean, we we all these events happen. We're we're happening, you know, not every day, but but with some some frequency in in the time period of roughly the 1880s to what uh, 1920s. Yeah, that that sounds about right. That sounds about right. You know, and and just out of curiosity, how do you how do you think that, that these sort of mass violent activities on, on the part on the part of the Jewish community, or, or portions of them at least, uh, played into things, uh, activities in let's say the labor movement, like the uprising of the twenty thousand. Mm. Um, you know, did 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 these did these events give them some sort of courage to continue engaging in protest? Uh, you know, what 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 do you think of that? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to that. I think by look by the tonsil riot, Jews had been going on labor strikes since the mid 1880s. You know, strikes were pretty frequent. You know, you'd have these cycles of class conflict 
in Jewish community, not just in New York, but Philadelphia, Chicago, some of the other major centers where, you know, you could have months of labor conflict. You know, that happened in 1886. It happened again in 1890. It happened again in 1894. Uh, and it's and on from there. I mean, there were strikes between 1909 and 1914. And there were almost five years of strikes among Jewish workers, most of whom worked in the clothing industry. Right. So, 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 you know, this became going, you know, protesting, you know, protesting, asserting yourself in that way was totally com by the 1890s. It was already a common thing. And those are often violent. They were violent right. typically because the bosses hired gangsters, um, prostitutes and others to to beat up the strikers. So strikes got pretty, pretty violent pretty quickly. And uh, people and the workers fought back. Right. So it seems that the uh, that it was actually the, the, the labor strikes that that helped encourage uh, Jews to engage in strikes of other sorts, like kosher so. meat strike or rent strikes. Absolutely. Or, or, or even a tonsil riot. Because they, they created, I think, the connection. Uh, there's a couple ways, you know, they encouraged it. I mean, one was, you know, as you said, it, it, it raised their confidence and gave them the confidence to 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 protest, to to assert themselves pretty aggressively. Uh, you could also see the influence of the labor strikes on the language of some of these rioters. So at the kosher meat boycott, they called themselves, you know, they, they said they're going, oh, the very word boycott came to them from the labor movement. And the people who didn't honor the boycott, the housewives that didn't honor the boycott were called scabs, which is a term from the labor movement. Right. So they were using and socialists, by the way, came in and, and eventually took over the leadership of the um of the kosher meat boycott, whether that was good or bad is another question. But but socialists were very much a part of all these activities. They often led them. So I think all this was was going on. So there was a breakdown of traditional norms. It wasn't considered good behavior in traditional Jewish society to to do any of this. It wasn't shame, uh, certainly not for girls or women. And you know, in, in America, girls. So there are two things that are changing. And you referred to these changing roles. One is that young people became more assertive. One is that housewives who became very assertive and, 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 and aggressive even, and then women were doing this, not just men. So there was a change in generational behavior and gender behavior that, right. was fought, that, that, that emerged out of this context of conflict. Right. And, you know, I think the generational behavior changes uh, can be attributed to, you know, the aspect of immigration, wherein an, uh, a child who's either brought over at a very young age and is educated in a public school or who was born here and then educated mm -hmm. in public school uh, is much more confident in yeah. American culture okay. than the immigrant parent mm -hmm. who doesn't speak the language very well, if at all, uh, and, uh, you know, often has uh, a, a type of work that's, uh, that's, you know, difficult, oppressive mm -hmm. and, and underpaid. Uh, so I, I think that that generational aspect make makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I guess to a certain degree, you know, women were were you know freed from their traditional roles. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the you know things you mentioned about uh, uh, Jacob Josephs, or is it Joseph Jacobs? Joseph Jacob Josephs. Um, <laughs> he's Jacob you know Joseph. two first names. I don't know. That's yeah, a tough yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, I think so, that was one reason why his career failed. <laughs> right. I think you're, that's that's obviously correct. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, what, you know, he, the role that he was brought over for, uh, he eventually failed. 
because th there was this new phenomenon in America where uh, rabbis weren't respected in the same way no. as they were in uh, in the old country. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why why he, he wasn't particularly successful in this role. Right. Uh, and so you have, you know, through the sort of upheaval of immigration, you have, uh, you know, all of these changes in, in you know, either gender roles or mm -hmm. occupational roles or uh, or, you know, even in generational roles or, uh, or or how you just how you express your discontent. You know, right. Going back to the very beginning, you know, you 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 it's it becomes fairly common to express your discontent by by rioting, right? Um, and I think that you know, I think that if if you had if you had riots in, you know, in the Russian Empire, there's a strong chance that rioters would be killed, uh -huh, right? And I think that in America there was a strong chance they might be beaten, mm -hmm. but and often being were killed, yeah, yeah, but being killed might not might right. not happen. So that they, they, mm -hmm. they had, they I think they understood that they uh, they were a bit freer to do to engage in these sorts of activities. And yeah, that that's elsewhere. actually crucial. There was freedom of speech in the United States, even though it was violated often in various ways. You know, there was still greater freedom to express yourself, to protest, to rally, all these things. And again, it was violated all the time. Strikers were thrown in jail regularly. All that stuff. But there was much greater freedom, and you could reasonably expect not to be mowed down by by right. by the police. Right. Whereas in, in in the Russian Empire, it was it was clearly different. Clearly different. Um, you know, do do you want do you want to talk a bit about the nineteen oh eight Amigos riot? <laughs> uh, should we explain to the audience uh, who the Amigos were? <laughs> I think I, I think you might have to. Uh, will the producer, <laughs> the producer has to be prepared to edit this out entirely. Uh, no, you do. <laughs> the, 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 the Amigos were, um, were the, uh, venereal crabs that had infested my friend's apartment when I was younger. And, uh, all the guys living there, my friends, uh, both had, had uh, crabs and they started calling them the amigos and they'd start and what they do is they'd sprinkle them on the bed inside the bed of each other so they'd have the amigos and then they they'd pluck them off and put them in the other guy's bed and i used to uh visit them uh fortunately i never caught the amigos but the amigos <laughs> were were uh i i mean the, the amigos were like the uh tonsil ride in as much as they didn't just end with one incident the amigos were omnipresent for right. for a pe whole period of time it's uh, the amigo our, riot. it was the amigo riot um uh but i don't think the amigos were jewish i i mean i think the amigos were either italian or uh from puerto rico well look i mean you know you had in the, during the tonsil riot you had italians engaging in the same thing so uh, uh you know these 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 things uh you know span different communities yeah, and they also have contributed to a fair amount of uh, generational trauma. Oh, undoubtedly, uh, uh, there's no no doubt about that. But going back to the uh, the riots of yore, um, uh, so you know one thing one thing we're talking about is how uh, they're part of an historical period. 
of immigration, where millions of immigrants came to the United States. They were poor. Uh, they were working class. They, they lived in uh, really miserable conditions in tenement apartments. They struggled to make ends meet. They struggled to earn a living in miserable uh, working conditions. They were mistreated. And so they protested. Uh, and this went on for a long period of time. Eventually, riots disappeared. Uh, you know, this kind of these street confrontations in in what were called Jewish ghettos, Brownsville, the Lower East Side and West Side of Chicago, you know, other places. The, 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 the Jewish ghettos eventually seemed to calm down. What 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 happened to the rioting Jew? I mean, I think, to you know, what happened is you you had beginning in the mid 1920s, immigration was cut off. So the influx of immigrants uh, was reduced significantly. You also had an outflow of uh, of Jews from these, you know, traditionally immigrant neighborhoods to newer neighborhoods, uh, either in different parts of the city. In in you know New York, you frequently had people moving to Brooklyn or to Harlem, uh, and then later the Bronx, uh, later New Jersey, and then subsequent to that, the suburbs, the suburbs, yeah. and so you know the the Jews were dispersed uh, and. I think in order for something like a riot to occur, you have to have um, a critical mass of of humanity uh, mm-hmm. packed into a certain area. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you know, you know, when, when you know, if you if you think about how you know other riots, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you you need a lot of people, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, without you know, with with this sort of dispersal. Uh, the the community, and in addition, in addition to that, you know, the immigrant generations and subsequent generations began to do better economically, mm-hmm. and you know, once you're more comfortable, uh, and, and once you're more you're more part of the general mm-hmm. uh, culture and community, there, you know, there are different venues you can use to to vent your anger. Well, I think also another factor in addition to those is that, um, you know, by the 1920s, most Jewish workers are unionized. And yeah, so there was also, an organized, factor, yeah, yeah, there was an organized structure for them to engage in in protests. There, were, there was organization, there was a leadership. Eventually unions were recognized as legitimate by law. And so I, I think that's another another factor. I mean, these early years, you know, there were immigrants coming into the country all the time. Um, as you say, packed into the Jewish ghettos, and uh, they often weren't organized. They tried to organize over and over and over again, but they weren't really organized till uh, some years later. So I think that's part of it. You know, you have these spontaneous outbursts right. of, of anxiety right. and outrage, um, fueled, as you said, by rumor. Often, you know, just right. What? What? Yeah, and I guess, and I guess the structure of the, the structure of the union, you know, sort of is able to control that. In yeah. addition. You know, if the workers riot, the union's at fault and looks bad. So they certainly want to keep a lid on on, on any kind of outbursts. Yeah, well, especially you know, they'll, they'll, if they're con- they have to honor contracts as well. Right, of course. You know, they, yeah. like they have to, and they, they have. You know, when a strike takes place, they have to manage the strike. They, manage, they yeah. can't let it get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but riots, well, riots, of course, don't disappear from American life. Um, no, of course know, not. They were very it's, much part of just, the 1960s, for instance. Right. But Jews you know, weren't other, the ones writing. I mean, it's also, you know, right. True. I mean, it's also been been part of, uh, you know, what's happened recently. Uh, right. That's right. Well, you know, I think actually not only was there the 
you know this this phenomenon of Jews riding not only that sub, sub, subside. Um, I think there was an image that somehow took shape or a myth that took shape in the probably this my guess would be the sixties, maybe sixties and seventies, that Jews never did riot, that that they they didn't engage in that kind of behavior. Jews were law abiding, according to the myth. Jews were law abiding, uh, you know, they worked hard and got ahead, and that's the way you do it. I think this history was was uh, forgotten and maybe intentionally so. Sure, of but course. I mean, all, all of yeah. all of this stuff, you know, we talk about has been uh, has sort of been muzzled because uh, it doesn't fit into the uh, um, you know the way that the Jews want to perceive themselves. Certainly, yeah. So at least after World War II, you know, right when when there was a certain cleansing of uh, of, of Jewish history from from all the strange and bizarre things we're talking about. But wait a minute, what about Orthodox Jews? Maybe not in this country. Is there is there in the recent years have there been any oh, yeah. any in, any yeah. in I Israel mean, certainly. Sure, of course. They 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 riot not infrequently. <laughs> um that that's I mean it's obviously a different you know time and place, but yes, you have the same sort of critical mass of 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 humanity that you need for a riot and uh if uh, they feel that uh, they're, they're st- you know, I think I'm just trying to think of a, of, of a, a particular episode. Um, you know, there was one where they were going to put a parking garage uh, or they were building a parking garage in Jerusalem and it was near a religious neighborhood and it was going to be open, you know, 24 uh, seven, you know, for Orthodox Jews, everything's got to be 24 six. <laughs> and so the fact that, you know, this was going to be open all the time was a problem for them. And they began protests and those protests evolved into violence. Uh, and uh, one of the one, one of the interesting thing that's, that's uh, I think, distinct to, uh, you know, these these Haredi or, uh, riots Ultra in Israel is, is that the, is that one of the weapons of choice uh, is uh, full diapers the, the oh, police right. always complain of, of, of having uh, Are you getting, talking about getting full, full size. Are you talking about full size diapers? No, no, I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm talking about diapers full of, of poo. Oh, um, oh, that get chucked because you know the, these are communities that have pretty large numbers of children, and so uh, you know poo filled diapers are, are uh, you know a byproduct of this life that you know, doesn't really have much use, uh, except for in a riot. Uh, so um, uh, you know it's. Um, you know, it's just one distinct aspect to these these this particular Jewish riot. Have you ever been in a riot, Eddie? Um, I don't think so. Not that I not that I recall. Uh, what about you? Other than the Amigo riot, I have not been in a riot. I wouldn't be a good rider. I wear glasses. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, Obviously, me too. It's it's a problem. It's a problem for rioters. Yeah, you know, if you wear glasses, you could be you could be in trouble. Um, yeah. It's a problematic aspect. Yeah, and my insurance uh, coverage doesn't actually. My policy doesn't, doesn't cover co- riots. It doesn't cover riots. So if I if my glasses break, then I'm out of pocket. Uh yeah, that's 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 a problem. Yeah, you you know you should stay away from riots if you if you're able. If, uh, so let's end on that note. Uh, if you're able, everyone stay away from riots. Unless you're studying Jewish history, then then jump in. Uh, well, that that was fascinating, Eddie. And thanks to everybody for for joining us in this uh, latest installment of the Jewish Bazaar. I'm uh, Tony Michaels. And I'm, uh, who am I? Eddie Portnoy. Josh Portnoy. And uh, thank you for, thank you for, for listening. We'll be back next week.